You're a top performer at work. Your manager routinely praises you. And you've been taking on more responsibilities as your team and company grows. With all these positive indicators, a thought has been in the back of your mind. I deserve a raise. Those 2-3% to increases you've received over the last couple years aren't making a major difference in your financial situation, let alone keeping up with inflation. Even with all this information though, you haven't gotten the courage to talk to your manager. Maybe your company is going through a difficult period, or you have a great relationship with your manager and you're afraid this conversation would add some tension or awkwardness. So, what do you gotta do? This episode is going to kick off with my friend Andrew Giancola breaking down some of the math behind why you can't ignore this problem. I'll let him share the details, but essentially, negotiating a raise every few years will make a drastic impact on your lifetime earning power. We're talking like a mid-six-figure or more impact. This can't be ignored, but it also needs to be handled professionally. Busting into your manager's office and demanding a raise because you're fed up with being underpaid isn't the solution either. So once again, what do you got to do? The good news is you don't have to answer that question because Andrew will do it for you. Andrew Giancola hosts the Personal Finance Podcast, where he helps listeners discover how to easily save, invest, and grow their money to build generational wealth. One of Andrew's favorite topics to discuss is how to ask for a raise because he knows how impactful yet sensitive this process can be. In this episode, we are going to walk through his step-by-step process of asking for a raise, including initiating the conversation, proving your worth, making the ask, and of course, getting the yes. I love his system because it is built around intentional communication, and it is going to make it easy for someone that is nervous to approach their manager. I also think this step-by-step process won't leave you looking like someone ungrateful, but instead, treated like a professional that knows their worth. If you are interested in making more money and getting on a path to early financial independence, make sure to hit that follow button because we are covering both of those topics extensively on the podcast this year. All right, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the man who went from living paycheck to paycheck to becoming a millionaire by 32, Andrew Giancola. You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? And if you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. What about book selection? How do you go about picking the next book that you're reading? So a big thing that I love to do uh, overall is I'll keep a list of recommendations from a lot of people that kind of give me book recommendations or I'll see them over time. So sometimes, like, for example, Never Split the Difference. It took me like two or three years to read that initially. Read it first time. I knew there was a lot of value in there. It just didn't apply to me at that time in life. And then I'll kind of reread it again. But I kind of go through lists that uh, people will recommend to me. And then I put them either on an Amazon wish list and or I'll go through and kind of put them on a spreadsheet. And typically now, one big thing I'm doing this year is I want to be more proactive with the books I have. Sometimes I would just kind of go out there and just grab one off a shelf. But I want to be more proactive with stuff I really need to learn right now so that I can actually take real action on some of this stuff. So now I'm each month, I'm looking towards, hey, what do I need to be doing this month and which books would actually apply to help me with that? So another one that I'm rereading this month because we have this new business is Traction, for example. 
So traction is one so where good. implementing all of those systems is really, really important for me. So I need to kind of go back and dig in there and utilize that one. So, and then I'm always trying to read a personal finance book just to kind of keep my mind fresh. A lot of times I'm just rereading the same thing that's in every <laughs> single book, but at the same time, I'm trying to see if there's anything new in there. Uh, and I still love this stuff, even if I'm reading yeah. through it. So it's one of those things that uh, I think overall is is really powerful, but I usually only get one or two gems out of each book. It's not, not a ton left because uh, it's, you know, it's all the same pretty much when you go through this stuff. Yeah, personal finance is pretty simple once you you kind of get the basics down. I mean, you can start optimizing a little bit here and there, but like ninety percent of it, you can you can learn in a you know I think four or five books. Exactly. And you just implement that, and you get out of the way. Like <laughs> you just let your money do the work. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's the biggest part overall is just letting your money do the work and simplifying. And so we've had a lot of a lot of like requests for people like for, from us to, to write a book. And I'm just like, well, I, my whole book would be like simplify your finances. We have a couple of ideas <laughs> overall that I think some things haven't been touched on fully, but it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I don't want to say the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So Andrew, I invited you on the show because uh, a big focus of our content this year is all around increasing your income. Uh, you're like the poster child for a lot of the podcast listeners. You went from you know paycheck to paycheck to millionaire by 32. And I think many 20-somethings are trying to do something similar, or at least get themselves on the path. But I found it interesting whenever I was doing some research on you that uh, you started in this place and you got good at a lot of things around personal finance, but you really give most of the credit to increasing your income. Like you realize you didn't have a savings problem. You didn't really have a systems problem. You just had an income problem. Like you just needed to increase your income right away. And of course, one of the big things that that you did was side hustling for that. But looking back on it, you give a ton, a ton of credit to actually just focusing on your primary source of income, which at that point in time was your nine to five. So I'm excited to, to tackle this topic and really asking for a raise. I think it's something that's always on people's mind, but I'd love it if you start us kind of like where you were, the situation, the place that you were in whenever you realized, oh, shoot, I do have an income problem. Sure. So when I first graduated from college, I got this entry level job and I was actually in finance, which was very interesting, but I got paid very low. This entry level job paid me about $30,000 a year. And this is about 10 years ago now. Um, so I was making $30,000 per year and very quickly realized that if you make $30,000 a year and you are paying for all the bills in your own apartment, you are living paycheck to paycheck. And so overall, that made me realize, hey, I've got a major problem here. I can't really cut back that much more. I have an income problem. And so I remember this point in time where I was going out and I went to go pump gas at a gas station and I went to go fill up my take of gas and I did not have enough money in my account to fill up my take of gas. And I remember this moment and I talk about it a lot because it really made me angry. Like overall, I was so frustrated with myself that I did not have enough money to pay for this tank of gas. And so right there, I either could have felt sorry for myself or I could have just gone out and said, hey, I'm going to make a change here. And that's the thing I did is I decided I want to make a change and I want to make a significant impact on my life. And this is the moment that I'm going to make that change. And so I went through time realizing that, hey, if I try to cut back, I would be living on rice and beans. I would not be eating very much <laughs> overall. And so really what I need to be doing is increasing my income. And that was the moment in time where I decided, hey, this is the time to do this. And by far, the number one place to increase your income overall at the beginning, especially the first thing that you can do, the thing that you have the most power over is the place that you spend most of your time, which is your day job. And your day job is going to be the catalyst that's going to allow you to increase your income the fastest. A lot of people will think through side hustles, which are absolutely fantastic. I utilize those as well. 
but you can control this right now and you can make a difference in your income right now if you actually focus on your day job to increase your income up front. And the cool thing is you don't need a drastic change or a drastic raise. Like you don't need to be at $30,000 and you don't need to be telling yourself, I need to make $100,000 like right away. It's actually, you can make a significant impact on your lifetime earnings with a simple change. Like going from 50,000 to 55,000, that $5,000 increase can make a monster change on, like I said, your lifetime earnings and your net worth. You talk about that example or that case study in your resource guide, your workbook. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Absolutely. So for a lot of people out there, you may be thinking through, well, hey, I'm going to have to talk to my boss and I'm going to have to go out there and ask a raise. And if you're an introvert like I am at heart, at heart, I'm actually an introvert, even though I talk a ton for a living. But overall, <laughs> I actually am an introvert. And I thought to myself, well, I need to figure out, you know, how much is this actually worth to start this negotiation process? And what I found very quickly was that it's worth over a million dollars if you actually learn the skill of negotiating. So th there was this case study and it was uh, originally put into Business Insider where there was two people who uh, started off with a $45,000 salary. That was their initial offer was a $45,000 salary. Person one just took that $45,000 salary and they got a 1% raise every single year. Person two negotiated that $45,000 salary to a $50,000 salary and every single year, they'd get a 1% raise. And then every three years, they would negotiate to a 4% increase. Now, this is really, really powerful overall because a 4% increase is very small. You may be already getting a 3, 4, 5, 6% increase every single year. But why is this so important? Because if you think about this for a second, if you don't ask for at least an increase at what the inflation rate is, and you can look at the inflation rate every single year, then each year that you do not get a raise based on that inflation rate, you just took a pay cut. And so it's yeah. really, really important to at least be able to negotiate in some way, shape or form a raise at that inflation rate. But this second person negotiated that raise at the inflation rate. And over time, over the course of 30 years, the person who actually negotiated, all they did was negotiate $5,000 up front and a 4% increase every three years made over a million dollars more than the person who never negotiated. Now, these are just small, simple steps that each one of us can take. We don't have to be a master negotiator or anything like that. You are just going through a simple process, learning how to make a little bit more money. And a lot of times it's just asking. And the worst thing they can say is no. But most of the time they want to help you out and increase your income in some way, shape or form. And you just have to show them why they need to do that. Yeah, so let's double click on the process. So once again, we, we mentioned this, this guide that you have and um, we're not gonna go through every single step that you have. If people are interested in, in getting that guide, they can go to mastermoney.co or check out episode nine of the Personal Finance Podcast. Uh, you do a great job diving deep into both of those there. Um, but I do have a couple of specific questions around your process. And one of the very first things that I noticed about your process was the length. This isn't a process that is for the person that is frustrated right now, is fed up, and is ready to just walk into their manager's office and demand a raise. This is for somebody that knows they want to be making more money, but they're willing to play a little bit longer game in order to successfully get the yes. So your process looks like on the onset is about six months. Is that fair? Uh, can you kind of walk through the, the, the macro timeline of the process? It is six months. And the reason why it's so long is I watch people do exactly what you're saying. They're fed up with their job and they would walk into you know, our boss's office. It would be my mutual coworkers. They would walk in, they would get fed up and they would ask for a raise and they would get rejected every single time. 
And so I said to myself, I got to figure out a system here on how I can actually develop some sort of rapport with my boss so that we can get to the point in time where we can actually get me a raise and neither one of us are surprised because what happens is those people are fed up. They walk into the boss's office, ask for a raise. The boss has no idea this is coming. And really, this has to go up a chain of command typically before you can actually get a raise. And so this is a time-driven process that really you need to take more time and work with your boss in order to get this raise. So it is a six-month process. And the reason why it's it's that long is so there are zero surprises. So up front, you're going to have a conversation with your boss and you're going to say to your boss, you know, my my yearly review is coming up in the next six months. And because my yearly review is coming up in the next six months, I would like to earn more income. But what do I need to do to increase the profitability of the company or to help you in this department or to increase efficiency? What are the things that I need to do in order to increase my income? And then you go through each step in order to get to that point in time so that nobody is surprised by the time your yearly review comes up. Mm. Yeah, let's keep talking about the initial meeting a little bit more because I, I think this is a really critical step, kind of setting the guidelines for this whole conversation, for this whole process. So it is aligning yourself with your company, with your manager, what's important, what's really driving ROI. Because it's one thing, I think, to display all of the cool things that you've done over the last six months. But if none of those really mean anything to your company, if they're not revenue drivers or great ROI indicators... I don't think people really care that much. So it does sound like an important piece to this is getting aligned with your manager and deciding what are the responsibilities, the projects, the initiatives that are really important. Exactly. And that is the number one thing you really, really need to do up front is figure out what the priority is because you can guess all day long, but really your manager is going to want it knows what that priority is. And really what you're doing is you are putting those priorities first so that your manager can go up to bat for you. A lot of times they have to request approval above. Uh, and so overall, you need somebody in your quarter that's going to go to bat for you so that you can get that increase. Now, if you're just trying to get a two to three percent increase, it may be slightly easier. But I want you to get, you know, that five, 10, 15 percent increase each and every year so that overall you can just make so much more money. So figuring out what those priorities are are really, really important. So you need to go to your manager and you need to ask them in this initial meeting, what are the main priorities? What are the things that I can do? in order to make sure that I get an increase in income. You're being very upfront that you are trying to increase your income overall, but you need to let them know, these are the things that I am willing to do, and can we have a meeting so that we can stay on track over this time frame to ensure that I'm on track to accomplishing these goals? Makes sense. All right, so your manager and you both agree, here are the things that are really important. These are the things that are going to get you a raise if they are accomplished. What happens next? What's the next step in the process? So the next step in the process is you're going to take that data back and you are going to make sure that you compile everything that you talked about. And what I like to do or what I used to do always was send an email to my manager. And this was just a recap of everything we just talked about. Your manager is super busy. They're dealing with all different types of things. They're not probably not even going to remember this conversation in a lot of instances. So the next thing that you absolutely need to do is send that follow up email. Then it's time to get to work. You got one, two, three things that you may have to do in order to get that raise increase. And so you start working on those things and you start executing over and over and over again uh, and making sure that you're increasing the profitability or whatever else it is that you need to be doing. Then as you go on, uh, you're going to be collecting information through this process to make sure that you have enough information to know how much does somebody in your general role make so that you have this information to back you up as you go through this negotiation throughout this process. 
And then what you're going to do is you're going to be executing all this stuff. And then three months before your yearly review, you're going to request a meeting again with your boss so that you can follow up and show all of these different things that you have been doing thus far. And then once you go through that process, you can set up that meeting and then you're going to make a big ask as well. So when you go through this, you're going to say, I'm doing these things. And then you're going to start to talk through with them what you are looking for as a salary increase when you go through this process. That totally makes sense. Between the six-month meeting and the three-month meeting, whenever you were executing on this process, did you do like bi-weekly check-ins or emails or things like that just to keep your manager up to date on the progress on exactly. these initiatives? So what I would actually do is I would actually do one month meeting. So we already had them established in our workflow every single month where we would kind of meet one-on-one and we would go through all the things I'm working on because I would work on very specific big projects. And so when I did these specific projects, it was very beneficial if we always met once a month. So during those once a month meetings, I would go through all the projects we were working on, the standard stuff I usually work on. But then I would show the additional things that we added when we had that first conversation. And I would remind them, hey, here's what our initial conversation was all about. Here is exactly what I'm doing based on that conversation. And here's the performance, the increase in revenue or whatever else it is. Here is exactly what it looks like here. So This is really, really important overall to just continuously remind them over and over and over again. And so once you start to do that, you'll notice after the first couple of months, they'll remember everything you talked about and then it'll stick in their brain. But they just have to be reminded a few times overall, especially if you have a manager who is super, super busy or has a really big team. That is really, really important overall. Maybe they're above a bunch of different departments. And so there's so many people asking them so many various things. So you just have to remind them a couple of times. So if you can set up those monthly meetings, that is even better. The more reminders you can give them, the better it is overall. So we zoomed to the the, the ask meeting. Whenever you're going to put the offer out there, you've done a great job actually executing on the things that you guys both agreed were, were going to be part of your performance evaluation. And you've done some some research to really identify exactly how much someone in your role should be making. You kind of know the number that you want to ask. I know the big thing in everybody's head right now is, how do I not fub this conversation? Like my biggest fear in all of this is, is creating some kind of awkward situation with myself and my manager. Do you have any suggestions, advice on how to how to go about this conversation and, and execute it without the uncomfortableness? So the most important thing is kind of initially when you're talking through this, when you're going through those month to month, just kind of hinting at what you're starting to get at overall. This is really, really important uh, just so that they're not surprised when you get to that three month meeting. Then when you get to that three month meeting, just backing this up with data is going to be imperative when you have this conversation. Now, one thing I like to do is if I'm asking for a range of something. So say, for example, I want to get a 10 to 15 percent increase. I will always ask for the bottom end as my increase. So it'd be 15 to 20% is what I would ask for in order to make sure that I can kind of get in that 10 to 15% range because they're always going to try to negotiate with you in a lot of instances. Sometimes they'll just give it to you if you're a really high performer, but a lot of times they're going to try to negotiate with you. So always asking at the bottom end of the range to be your top number is the big, big thing that I love to do. Uh, And that's going to help you within that negotiation as well. But to make this easier, a lot of times this is easier when you start to have those initial conversations and you're talking about it over and over and over again. They know that this is coming and they know this conversation is going to happen. And if you want to have it earlier, if you want to talk about it during that six month meeting, you absolutely can. I have done that before as well. And that's one thing that you can do up front, but you just don't want to surprise them too much. You don't want this this conversation to be a surprise because if it is a surprise, that's where it is a lot more difficult to negotiate. You want to come to common ground so that when you both reach this point in time, you both know exactly what's coming. 
I would agree with that. That intentionality behind the communication is what kind of breaks the awkwardness and uncomfortableness. Like once again, they already know it's coming. The most awkward conversations I've had is when I've been blindsided right. by a conversation and vice versa. Same with your manager. You have to think about it from their lens. If someone just stormed into their office and they want $10,000, they weren't emotionally receptive to having that conversation. They had no idea what your thoughts and feelings were on it. That's when things get a little weird. Exactly. Uh, but if but if you paint yourself in your, your manager's shoes, if you've been having a conversation with your employee for three, four, five months, you know they're looking for a raise and you've set expectation that's coming at the annual review, you're probably already out speaking to your manager about, hey, uh, Andrew really wants to get a raise here. He's been doing a great job. Here are all these amazing things he's been working on. I really want to make sure he gets a raise at this annual review. Review. This makes this conversation so simple. It, it truly does. And I can just give you an example that just happened to me the other day where I have a team member in, in one of my companies that always, always, always is telling me, you know, everything is going great. Everything is amazing. I am so happy in this job. And then last week, it was just last week, they came up to me and they said, hey, I'm not making enough money. They just came flying at me with all these emotions. And they said, I'm not making enough money. I had no idea this was coming. It caught me completely off guard. And it made the conversation really, really awkward. And what I said to them was I actually took them through this exact system and said, hey, here's what we're going to do over the next six months. I need you to do this, this and this. If you do these things, this is going to tremendously help me overall. And I will give you anything you want within your range that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. But you have to go through this process so that I know this is coming overall. And secondly, so that we can have this conversation. So we coached through this entire process, which is interesting. So even people that that work with me now, a lot of times I'll coach them through this because this is what I want as a manager overall. That's cool. What about objections? Um, let's say we're, we're successful in all of this. We've executed. But for some reason, we get to this conversation and we're feeling pushback. Maybe it's budgetary pushback. Maybe it's something else, but but can we walk through a couple of the common objections and how you would respond in those situations? Sure. So there's a ton of different common objections that come up all the time. Budget is obviously one of the biggest ones. Yeah. And a lot of that, a lot of times that's a throw in where they just either don't want to make the ask because they're putting their neck on the line and or uh, a lot of times they just don't feel like you know going up to bat for you. So a lot of times this has to be a performance based conversation where you are showing your performance and how you are increasing the income in one way, shape, or form, and how you feel that you should be compensated based on the initial conversation that you have. So any objection whatsoever, you have to always have this data available to make sure that you know, hey, how much performance am I increasing within the company? So for me, it was very easy because it was financial performance. So I was a financial analyst. And so what I would do is I would take out these spreadsheets and I would be recording this each and every single day to see the differential between when I started this project and what happened later on. And so there would be struggling locations, for example, that I would go into and I would say, hey, let's tweak this, this, and this. And all of a sudden the profitability would change month over month. So for me, it was very easy to kind of show this data and say, hey, I, I would get initial uh, objections and say, you know, we had budget constraints, all these different things. And I would say, look, this is the difference that I am making here. And we go through these spreadsheets and I would show them this is the massive difference. And a lot of times that would help overcome that objection. So that is definitely a big one overall, is making sure you have that performance-based. Now, if you work at a company that is not a meritocracy, meaning they are not performance-based, overcoming some of these objections is a little more difficult. And if you go through this conversation once, for example, and maybe you go through it another time, the first time they give you that objection, and then you go through it again over the course of the next six months, it may be worth it to consider leaving your job based on some of this stuff, because it doesn't sound like they want to go up to bat for you and help you out even though you're increasing that performance. Now you have to have real numbers and hard data to show that, 
But if you have that hard data and you're increasing the performance or you're increasing the revenue or whatever else you're doing and it is not being rewarded, then overall it may be time for you to leave unless you really, really love that job. Yeah, this is almost like the perfect primer to to realize if this is a walk situation or not, because you're doing everything in your capability to demonstrate your value, to provide ROI to the company, and to back it up with hard facts. And at the end of the day, if if they're just not willing to pay out for that, they must not value value you in that situation. And therefore, you're right, it's probably time to to move on. Exactly, because that is the whole thing is you're actually selling yourself and you're selling the value that you're providing. And so this is the the big overarching thing is if they're not willing to increase that. And I've seen this happen before where people will be there for three or four years and they've gone through this process a couple of times and it just not, doesn't seem like the company wants to reward them and they're not really rewarding anybody across the board. Then that would be definitely the time to consider another company who actually operates on a meritocracy, meaning they operate based on performance. So 2020 brought a major shift in a lot of different elements, but one major shift was a lot of people are now working from home. Does your process change for anyone that's working from home? Are there things that people need to be doing differently in order to successfully work through this entire process? So when you work from home, this is a big one because this is one that we talk through a lot. And my wife is someone who works from home full time now since 2020. And she's gone through this process a number of different times. And we've kind of mastered the the way to implement this as you work from home, because it's really, really important to understand this. You have to touch base even more with your boss, in my opinion, because you don't see them day to day. You're not having daily conversations. Unless you're in daily meetings, you need to always be touching base more with that specific boss. So maybe it is a weekly or a bi-weekly meeting just to show what is going on. And a lot of times you can present these meetings as, hey, here's some of the, the performance that we are increasing overall and just show it as a cost benefit to them to be on this meeting. But at the same time, you're also just you know providing your benefits overall. And so just touching base a few more times is gonna be really, really important. Uh, but you can have these conversations on Zoom calls and all these different things, and you can do it the same exact way. Now, we also, if you're an extreme introvert and you really can't do this, like you really can't overcome <laughs> this stuff, uh, in that ebook, we also have scripts where you can kind of go through and send them an email, but it does not work as well as, a, a, as if you have an actual conversation. So it's really important to have these conversations at least a few times. Uh, but if you really cannot do it and you cannot overcome that stuff, you can send it in an email, but it is much more difficult to do. Yeah. yeah, and these are just one of those lessons that you have to learn in order to get something like this and make a major impact on on your wealth. You know, once again, that five thousand dollar increase that we talked about in that case study, unbelievable. Sometimes you just gotta have the hard, difficult, and awkward conversations. And if you never make the ask, you immediately know it's gotta be a no. But sometimes just putting yourself out there, you'll be surprised how people respond. And here's the thing I want you to think about: is if you're really scared to do that, if you really are, just think about a million dollars, okay? But it's not just the initial million dollars that you could earn. It's also the million dollar opportunity cost. So imagine, for example, if you earn $5,000 more, if you took that $5,000 and you invested those dollars. And imagine if you did this over and over and over again every single year. So just that initial $5,000 increase, if you invested those dollars over the course of 30 years and you got a 10% rate of return, for example, that is another million dollars that you have. So it's a $2 million conversation if you actually invest those dollars. So it's really important to think about the opportunity cost as well. So this is a multi-million dollar decision that you can make just by learning these simple negotiation tips. It could absolutely change your life and the trajectory of your retirement over time. Before we press record here, we were talking about a book, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And, and we know this is like the an amazing, like if you're looking to gain some negotiation skills, this is an amazing book to pick up. 
you recently read it. Is there a nugget from that book that might apply to this conversation? I think one in particular you mentioned was empathy and how you can interject empathy into these conversations. So empathy or something else that you got from that book that that might be really relevant to this conversation today. So being empathetic is one of the most important things in a negotiation. And that book really lays it out really well. And overall, what you want to have with your boss is you want to come to common ground where it's a win-win. Whereas you are increasing performance in, you know, in their department or in making them look good. Typically, if you make your boss look good, you're going to make more money. So this is a really, really important thing that you want to understand their side. You know, it's very difficult for them in some instances to have to go up to their boss and ask for more money in their department to increase the salary of somebody else. You got to think through that and also think through your side that you need to earn more for having, you know, the increased production. And so you come to these terms and be reasonable about these terms over time. Maybe in year one, they can only increase your salary five, seven, 10 percent. But you have this plan put together where you say, hey, okay, in year one, we can do that. But if I hit some of these numbers in year two, can we increase to this number? And if you hit those Mm. numbers and they don't give it to you, even they promised, then that's a a great indicator for you overall as well. But coming to this common ground and being empathetic with other people is really important. And that book lays out so many cool different things. And you can use those in the workplace over and over and over again. It is one of the best books, I think, that you can utilize every single day. Yeah, you got it back on my radar now. I feel like I got to pick it up here again uh, sometime in 2024. Andrew, this was a great conversation. You did an amazing job summarizing your your strategy, your your system in place here. Of course, we didn't cover everything, so people can go and grab the workbook. Once again, that's mastermoney.co. You can go and find that resource that's out there. You have scripts in the resource. You have the step-by-step process. You do a really good job breaking down all of this. And if you're more of an audio learner, episode nine of the personal finance podcast. This is another good one to check out. I know I know. Uh, you said you need to redo it at some point in time, but I still think it holds up and, it, and it's a really, really good episode. Andrew, tell us a little bit more about the podcast. It's been a fan favorite of mine now, uh, listening through and, and doing some research on you. Can you share a little bit if, if people were to head over to your podcast, what would they expect to learn there? Sure. Our podcast is all about teaching you how to build wealth and how to build generational wealth at that. So overall, what we talk through is every aspect of personal finance and how you can actually maximize your ability to actually build wealth over time. So it is a podcast that is my passion project overall. I love helping people with this stuff. And so I think it is going to be something that you would absolutely enjoy if you you love uh, Justin's podcast, because I think it is something that really, really can help you overall. Andrew, my final question for you, if you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't normally covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? By far, the the number one thing that I would teach most, most is to uh, building skills that will help you increase your income. So there's a bunch of mm. them out there that I think that you really need to know. Negotiation, like we talked about a ton here, is one of the big ones. I think marketing is another big one, but learning all of these massive skills that will help you increase your income is going to be one of the best things that you can do, including building a self-education plan, because a lot of people will kind of go through school and that's all they'll learn. And we can see the statistics that most people don't read a ton. But if you can build a self-education plan and invest in yourself, you'll earn more money than anybody else who does not do that. So overall, I think that is the number one thing is building up a weekly basis of some of the main skills that I would teach people each week. So maybe one week is marketing, two weeks negotiation, and kind of going through that process that way is going to be really, really helpful. But also creating ways for people to actually remember this information because a lot of times people will kind of go through some of these classes and then they'll just kind of forget it a couple of months later. Overall, I want to create memorable teach memorable lessons that will actually allow people to use this stuff in the real world. So going out in the real world and using it is going to be one of the most powerful things that I think you could do. 
Yeah, and, and of course, a definitely a big aspect or resource for your self-education plan is books. And you blew me away with some of the stats you shared in your um, uh, weekly newsletter today. I, I can't remember a lot of them off the top of my head, but it was like something crazy, like all about the richest people in the world, like 63% of them like read. 30 minutes of a nonfiction book a day. Yes, exactly. Yes. And it's it's wild because there's this book called Rich Habits, that, which I read. So uh, the more you read, the more you learn about this stuff. And so Rich Habits kind of shows this, that um, 63% of some of the wealthiest people actually read for at least 30 minutes of a nonfiction book per day. And one fascinating thing about this is they always talk about, you know, the average CEO reads 60 books per year, but I've seen those numbers to be even higher. And some of the smartest people that I've ever talked to they read just a massive amount. You could think of Warren Buffett reads 500 pages a day. Charlie Munger, who just passed away, reads about the same. And you can see some of the smartest people out there. They all just attribute it to reading more. Yeah. Andrew Giancola, the Personal Finance Podcast. Man, you can find them all over the place. Andrew, this was such a blast. Thanks for, for the awesome conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I truly enjoyed this. This was great. Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.